Hi everybody, welcome to And Then an Aeroplane, episode 16. I am on the wrong Wikipedia page because I pulled up Attack of the Clones. My co-host is M. Hi, it's time to talk about anime. Once again, it's been a hundred years. <laughs> it's been one week at least. Um, I think I saw six weeks on that. That, um, that checks the out. Website. That checks out. Yeah. So we had the normal three. We had you having medical stuff. We had me going to a funeral. It's been it's been a time. People yeah. follow us on Twitter. People know. Yeah. Um. Do we do a segment before we start talking about the movie, or do we just kind of depends? It? I don't know. We can we can reinvent the wheel right now. I don't care. <laughs> I don't have anything to talk about before we talk about this movie. It just felt weird to just like go straight to it. Uh, how's Gundam Wing? Are you keeping up with Gundam Wing? Um, I haven't watched since um, I was on, but I was planning God on doing damn that. Damn it! Um... <laughs> it's only like three episodes that I've missed. Is it really? Uh, five. Okay. I think five. Five episodes of GGP or five episodes of Gundam? Five episodes of Gundam. Okay. Two of which are recap. Oh, right, right. So. Uh, in my head, you haven't been on for like ten episodes of Gundam at least, so you know what? You're excused. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was on episodes 25 and 26 of Gundam, I think. Okay. So. Don't ask me what we're on. That's Jackson's problem. <laughs> <laughs> what Pokemon is episode sixteen? Uh, episode um, sixteen of Gun of what is Pokemon sixteen? Aeroplane. Oh, of Aeroplane. Pokemon sixteen. What's Pokemon sixteen? Um, it's like right after the starters. I assume it's like a Pidgeot. Mm-hmm. I feel like Pidgeot, or I'll go with Caterpie. Uh, Pokemon uh, sixteen is Pidgey, so I was in the right family. I'll take it. Okay. I'll give you. I'll give you that. Um, um, the uh, right, so... the the bugs were before that. I think is, is so you missed. I think it's uh, starters, bugs, and then like rattata, and then like birds. Okay. Howl's Moving Castle um, was released in two thousand four. Um, it was directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, it's an adaptation of a book. Uh, from the 980s, it looks like. Yep. Uh, music by Joe Hisaishi. Kind of... Uh, this is like the first one after Spirited Away wins an Oscar. If you don't count The Cat Returns, which is like a kind of small side project for Ghibli. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into the summary? Do you want me to get into the summary? Okay, let's do this. Uh, Sophie is a, a young girl who works in a hat shop. Uh, she's going to visit her sister one day when she's like accosted by soldiers because her town is like on the verge of going to war because it's like nebulously Europe, but like it's even more removed from reality than any other uh, other like nebulously Europe Ghibli movies we've covered so far. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, like, it seems like it's like a pre-World War One style war, but who can say, really? It's very nebulous. Anyway, um, she's stopped, uh, sh- she is rescued by a guy named Howell, who's a wizard. And everyone just seems to know who he is, uh, but whatever, it's not relevant. He's being chased by a witch called the Witch of the Wilds, and because Sophie was rescued by him, the witch's attention turns to her, and she shows up at her hap shop one night and put a curse on her to make her, uh, seem old, because she's just, like, a young girl. And so she's old now, 
And Sophie decides that if uh, Howl got her into this mess, Howl can get her out. And she's going to slip out in the day to go find Howl in his mythical moving castle. And so she does that. And she leaves and goes there. Uh, she can't talk about the curse, which is a problem because she can't tell anyone she needs help. But when she gets there, she finds the castle, which is a giant moving monstrosity, is home to not only Howl, but a little fire sprite called Calcifer and a young boy named Markle. And they just all live there. And she decides to take up residence as her housekeeper. Um, it seems like or Calcifer knows immediately what her deal is. Uh, it seems like Howl knows who she is, too. It never really comes up. Uh, and she just kind of mm. hangs out with them as he... Uh, uh, relies on her more and more for things because Howl is a simpering coward. <laughs> um, and so he sends her off to the king because the king wants him to come and help with the war effort with his magical powers. And he sends her pretending to be his mom to like make an excuse for him that he's not going to do anything. But what he's actually doing at night is going out and attacking both sides in a monstrous bird form that he hold sometimes but he, he if he pushes it too far he's just gonna stay a bird forever um and there's a whole thing where like he's made a trade with calcifer for something and no one's sure what it is that it's, it, they're like locked into this thing they can't talk about and she's gonna try to save the both of them and then calcifer is gonna save her and re undo the spell and it's a big mess and uh they end up recruiting the rich of the wild to uh the king sorceress uh like you know, brain destroyed. So she's just an old woman and she ends up hanging out with them um, as the war intensifies. And there's a bit where Sophie's, uh, you know, is like, I love you, Hal. And you're like, well, this doesn't come from anywhere. How'd you build this up? And uh, the movie doesn't explain any of that. Um, but the, their love saves the day as she goes back in time to the moment that he made the deal. Calcifer tells them about her that she's going to be there in the future. So they both know who she is. And that's why the Howl saved her that day. Cause otherwise he would just walk past and let her get attacked by those guards or something. Um, and he, now he's like, Oh, you, you're at the other end of this time loop also. And then everyone hugs and all the problems are solved. Um, and the scarecrow who's been following them around, who I haven't mentioned cause he doesn't matter. turns out to be the key mm -hmm. to ending the war and everyone's declares war over. Let's go home. Happy, happily ever after the end. Oh, Sophie's got cool silver hair now. She's like, a, she's like young again, but she's got her cool hot silver hair. It is a good look. It's a, it's a strong look. Yeah, um, but th then they decide, yeah, we're just gonna, you know, go around the world and be in love in our weird house as the war is over. The end. Happy, happily ever after. Yeah, uh, I think someone literally says, "Looks like it's a happy ending." Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to do voice actors uh, before we get really into, uh, I think, you and I feeling disappointed in this movie? <laughs> yeah, we could do that. Uh, so, voice actors. Sophie is voiced by Chaco Baisho. Uh, she is the voice of Kamario Ray in Mobile Suit Gundam. That's Amuro's mom, who's in, who's maybe the most contemptible oh. character in Gundam, honestly. Um and she is mostly an, like a live action actress and singer. She was in this series of movies called uh, Otoko wa Tsurayo, which uh, she was in from 1969 to 1995, um, which uh, is a long time to be in a series of movies. Uh, she did both voices and sang the theme song for this movie. You, in most uh, regions, uh, two different actresses played young and old Sophie, which is true of the English version as well. Uh, the English version is uh, young Sophie's voiced by Emily Mortimer. Um, she's Holly Shiftwell in Cars. Maybe you've listened to Totally Reprise's season on Cars. <laughs> uh, she's Mackenzie McHale in Newsroom. Those are the two things I pulled from her. Mean to El Emily Mortimer for no good reason, but, you know, that's what I got. 
she should be in better things. Uh, old Sophie is voiced by Jean Simmons. Uh, she has been in dozens of movies since World War II. She got Oscar nominations for Hamlet, the 1948 one, and The Happy Ending. I know her mostly as a Rear Admiral Nora Satie in TNG episode The Drumhead, uh, which, if you don't know about that episode, it's a really good episode, but it's also famous for maybe the worst video on YouTube about Star Trek, which is Picard destroys SJW, uh, and it's bad. Star Trek fans can misread anything as much as the next person. Uh, unfortunately, she died in 2010. <laughs> uh, Howl is voiced by Takia Kimura. He is uh, famous for being in late 80s, early 90s band SMAP. Uh, he was a heartthrob on TV in Japan throughout the 90s and early aughts. He was uh, famously on this show called Long Vacation in 96 that, like, was just a true cultural icon. Um, seems like he still does a lot of TV. He's the voice of the main character in the game judgment by the Oxa people. Uh, in English, he's voiced by Christian Bale, who you might know from being Batman. <laughs> Such a terrible choice for Howl. Just on every level. Yes. Um, the Witch of the Waste in Japan is voiced by Akihiro Miwa. Uh, he is an infamous, uh, like, drag queen in, like, Japanese culture. He's been in a bunch of things. Uh, he voiced the wolf, uh, Mononohime in Princess Mononoke. Uh, he also vo voiced Arceus in Pokemon Arceus and the Jewel of Life, which I thought was very funny <laughs> for no particular reason. Um, <laughs> Other than that's that that's Pokemon God. If you don't know what Pokemon is, that's the God of Pokemon, like the actual creator being that created the Pokemon universe. And you can catch him, and he's voiced by this guy. Um, Having a uh, a drag queen play the Witch of the Waste, everything about this movie has come like into into like focus for me all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, in English, uh, she is voiced by Lauren Bacall, who is uh, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you what Lauren Bacall is known for. She's just like a pillar of old Hollywood. Uh, just tons of movies. Um, I, I think of The Big Sleep is probably like the, the major one, but God, there's so much. Um, she died in 2014, but you know, she was in there like 85 or whatever, so she had a good run. Um, Calcifer is voiced by Tatsuya Gashuin, who I couldn't find much for other than he voiced the frog guy in Spirited Away. Um, but he is maybe the most like notable English voice to me because in English he's voiced by Billy Crystal. I can't, be, I can't pinpoint what people would know Billy Crystal for. To me, he's like the obnoxious host of the Oscars, but he hasn't done that for a while. Uh, to me, he is what Mike Wazowski. Yeah, that's fair. He's Mike Wazowski. Uh, he was in The Princess Bride. Um, that, that's like my, my big pull. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Markle is voiced by Ryonusuke Kamiki. Uh, he is Bo in Spirited Away. He is Kenji Koiso in Summer Wars. He's Sho in Arietti, which we'll be getting into shortly. And he's, uh, Taki Tachibana in both Your Name and Weathering With You. I didn't realize that had crossover characters. I haven't seen Weathering With You. Your Name, not very good. My take. <laughs> I know that is like, uh, controversial maybe, but. Uh, in English, he is voiced by Josh Hutcherson, uh, who was in a bunch of kids' movies around this time. He was in Zathura, uh, Bridge, Bridge Terabithia, The Kids Are Alright. Uh, most people probably know him as PETA in The Hunger Games. Weird. Uh, a couple other voices. Uh, Prince Justin, who shows up at the end, he's the one who's the uh, scarecrow, uh, turnip head. Uh, he is voiced by Yo Oizumi, who's notable only because he's the voice of Professor Layton in all the Professor Layton games. 
<laughs> um, and in English, he's voiced by Crispin Freeman, who doesn't really bear mention here other than he's in, he's one of those voice actors in fucking everything. If you watch anime in English or video games or cartoons, he's done a voice for it. Um, and then, uh, the King of Ingeri doesn't have an interesting English voice actor, but in Japan, he is voiced by Akio Otsuka, uh, who bears special mention as one oh. of the uh, pillars of Japanese voice acting. He is the voice of all of the snakes in Metal Gear Solid, Bateau and Ghost in the Shell, Ana Gato in 0083, Xehanort in Kingdom Hearts, a bunch of other things besides. Just a legend. Mm-hmm. Akio Otsuka is one of the few voice actors uh, from Japan that I recognize as a as a neophyte. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we didn't like this movie either of us. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really it, it would be very easy for me to dismiss this movie as the movie you make after Spirited Away blows up really big and gets you an Oscar. Uh, because I think a lot of it is riffing on the ideas that Spirited Away and Mononoke, which is the other big global film, b- both did incredibly better than this. I don't even like Princess Mononoke, yeah. but it's it's way <laughs> more coherent about its stance on war than this movie is, um, which we'll get into. So I just want to say before I uh, before we dig in that my dismissive opinion is you can just go watch those movies. They're more popular and they're better, uh, and you can skip this one entirely. My dismissive opinion is... Um... That you could go read Witch Hat Atelier. <laughs> oh, that too, yeah, for sure. Man, that's a good that's a good manga. You should you should read that anyway. It's just good. It's just good. Um, I we we had texted about this a little bit earlier today, and, and I asked you, "Is this the worst movie that we've covered for Aeroplane?" And you said maybe, but you were hoping that I would like it better. Yeah. This feels like it should be my bag. It's wizard shit. It's um the like vague European gorgeous setting. Like this movie looks gorgeous. I feel like um uh like the CG uh the like the computer elements of this movie of these movies keep getting better and better and I think the CG here looks fucking incredible. Um uh it's boring, though. <laughs> so, yeah, really I want I want to like go through and just point out things that I don't like this uh, because I think it's like more than just being boring. I think there's specifically stuff in here that feels regressive and shitty, um, and so I just yes. want to go through it all. So, I think at the end, like, fine. You had mentioned that you think it's regressive and shitty. And I didn't see it for a while because I felt like nothing was cohering for most of the movie, and then in the last thirty minutes. All of it kind of like came together. I'm like, oh, this is this is no, this is bad. <laughs> so here's the thing: the movie opens with Sophie like wandering through a town, and then she she basically is like threatened with rape by a bunch of soldiers. And Hal shows up and is like, oh, don't mind them; they're just silly, and leads her away, like putting her immediately under his like obligation and spell, like quite literally in the text of the movie. And it's not commented upon that he's done this, or it's not considered like a bad thing. It's actually just like, this is what dashing knights do. It could be the Baron and the Cat Returns doing this, the way the movie frames Mm it. Um, Yet it's not that. It's like way more sinister, and the movie doesn't play it like that at all. It just like is very straightforward about this is what's happening in a way that feels like like Miyazaki doesn't handle themes like this typically. And so it was really weird just like immediately going directly here from the Mm -hmm. jump. Um, I, and that stuff I think is really bad. Um, Sophie g- growing old, like turn, being turned old is inconsistent and weird because the movie makes it sound like the whole thing is that the witch curses her. 
for like working with Howl by putting like a Beauty and the Beast spell on her, which is kind of the same thing Howl has. Like, ah, uh, she you know needs to find someone who can save her despite the fact that she's like hideous, but she's not like a monster. She's just an old lady who can't talk about the fact that she should be young. But then also throughout the film, whenever she's like asleep or like in a like in the right mood, she just looks young. Like when she's asleep, she's literally her normal self from the beginning of the movie. But throughout the movie, she regularly transitions to like a medium state where she just looks like a silver haired anime lady. Like she's not mm-hmm. like noticeably old. There's a bit early on in the movie where like when she first turns old, she's like, ah, oh, now that I'm old, I can speak my mind and no one's going to stop me. Cause everyone thinks I'm an old lady that they have to respect. That doesn't come up again. That's not like important to the plot. She's not like, like outside of the opening, like half hour, 40 minutes, she's not like walking around with trouble because she's old. She literally becomes like the maid of this huge, messy castle and doesn't have any problems with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And all of the stuff around like what it means to be like, you know, someone of advanced age who isn't getting around very often, but how that changes your social status immediately goes out the window. The movie's not about any of that. Right. <laughs> and it's not, it's not about how old realize it's not about like, Oh, we need this young twink to realize that the grandmas are hot because she just turns into a late, like a normal <laughs> young lady all the time. <laughs> but um, also this movie wants it to be about this young twink needs to realize that the grandmas are hot, which is fucked up and weird. <laughs> Um, well, and also, so there's, there's a really weird metaphor that is going on with her, uh, age that I, took me a long time to pick apart because the thing that I hooked on really early is that, um, she has a, uh, Sophie has a conversation with her sister, I believe it might be her mother. Um, it's her sister. Uh, she has a conversation. But like when she shows up later in the movie, she identifies herself as her mother, which I assume was meant to tip her off that something was wrong. I don't know. It doesn't really clarify what's going on there. Yeah. So um, she has a conversation with her sister where her sister is like, well, you can't work in in father's uh, hat shop forever. Um, You know, you'll like, you know, you should go like live your life. And she sees her sister like, living a more glamorous life of also running a business, but a different business. Um, but Sophie is living the life of like, quote unquote, like an old maid who just makes her hats and, um, is loveless and, uh, dresses very plainly. Um, and so there's a metaphor going on where, where she is cursed to be old and, oh, so like I've, I've wasted my life, like, um, not doing like the things that are worth living for. I just, you know, ran my business and and lived a quiet life. And now suddenly like my, like I'm old and, uh, I've lost like all my chances to do things. And then over the course of the movie, she starts to become young again by going on magical adventures with the, with the twink that she's in love with. Um, but also the magical adventures involve her becoming a mother figure and a wife figure and the cleaning lady. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's literally um, the stuff that she talked about not wanting early on in the movie, where she just wanted to run her shop and not be an old maid, and here she is, like, literally an old maid. Yeah, and and she she finds her youth again by, like, by being a, 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 the sort of woman <laughs> that these two, like, that this twink and this child... Um, need from her and they're both like i mean 
Markle is a child. Like, I, he, he gets all the slack in the world. But Howell is, like, an adult who should be able to take care of himself. But, like, he is, like, redeemed and, and she finds joy by, like, just being the person that takes care of him. And that's, like, what she's supposed to do in life, apparently, is take care of Howell. Yeah. Um, uh, and how is, and, uh, go ahead. And, and, and another huge part of the movie is like this ever expanding, like found family, because, um, at first there's, there's Markle and there's Calcifer and there's Howl and they're all kind of like d- dysfunctional a little bit. Um, and like, um, Sophie is able to bring the three of them together more and more. And then they bring in the witch of the wastes and they bring in the dog and they, settle back down into um, the hattery that she was running at the beginning, but now it's a f- now now it's their family home um, and that's torn apart by the war. And so like literally like Sophie's like becoming youthful again arc is like going back to that hattery, but now she has a family. And also, like, a really nice house that Hal sets up for her. Because Hal's idea of, like, what to give these people is, like, just an extravagant house and, like, a flower Mm -hmm. garden. Mm -hmm. Because if Hal doesn't know what... Hal is, like, the most petulant child, despite the fact he's, like, the dashing, like, male lead of this movie. He is the most petulant child in any of these films. Like, Jihiro, Jihiro, get out of here. You're fine. You're responsible. Howell is in trouble now. Uh, Because Howell's whole thing is that he, like, we'll get to the war stuff. Let's set that aside. Howell's whole thing is that he's cursed because he gave his his heart away when he was young. And, like, the movie tries to hand wave this off in the last two minutes by mentioning that he still has the heart of a child. Don't care. Uh, His whole thing is that he, he got into these agreements with these, like, this, you know, this kingdom. And then he ran away where he does magic to make money, uh, but doesn't want to commit to any of it. Uh, So he lets the little kid take all the fall for it as he goes and, like, turns into a bird and then comes home and mopes all the time to the point where, like, if he mopes too hard, like, the house starts collapsing and he turns into goo and they just need to get him up into the into the bath so he can cool off and like stop throwing a tantrum. And that's literally what everyone in the house is like built around. It is like, it is protecting the fragile ego of like this person who doesn't care about any of their feelings. Actually, it's weird that this is like a sympathetic Mm -hmm. character. And even when it turns into like, Oh no, he's actually cursed to be like a horrible monster. When uh, Sophie goes into like his like nest where it's just like a bunch of treasure in like these tunnels. uh, The reveal is that he's a hot bird man because of course it is. He's really hot. It's like, uh, I like, you know, not for me, I guess, but like, you just made, you just made him a giant cool bird with like a human face and the how like Howell is just like a, you know, hot twink. So just a twink bird. No one's going to be like actually horrified and repelled by that. This is not the rules of fiction. <laughs> Certainly not the rules of anime. <laughs> But it, but it still um, it still exists in like this symbiotic. They both live the like you know who could ever love a beast, Beauty and the Beast thing, and it doesn't work on either front. But both of them no. are like kind of weirdly like ignorant of feelings and unpleasant <laughs> through their arcs. So it's weird. <gasps> well, and um, I don't know, like any. <laughs> If I was going to rewrite this movie, thinking about it for two seconds, like, the conclusion of Hal's arc would be that, um, like, he does the dishes for once yeah. or something. But the, the, the conclusion of Hal's arc, it, well, the, the next to last beat in his arc is that he's like, 
oh, I have a family now, and so I will be the good father, and I will go fight the war, and I will go end the war, or something. Um, and then we have the, the travel back in time to... Um, we have the travel back in time sequence, and he's like, oh, I'm all better because, like, you were here for me after I went and fought the war and, and sacrificed myself and was a good man. Um, and it... It, it it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then after after this, they just go off having more adventures. So Howl has not learned or changed really in any way, except that um, instead of just fighting because people told him to, he will go fight the war because he's going to protect his wife and children. Yeah. And, and mother figure. Oh, yeah. This was another thing um, is that literally the one of the big, moments in the resolution of the film is Sophie going and asking his surrogate mother figure for permission to tend to the flame that represents his heart. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the mother figure, uh, the witch of the wastes, like transferring like, Oh, I was tending to, to his heart, but now you will tend to his heart. Like that's literally like the thing that's happening and it sucks. Yes. Yep. Uh, and then you get to like the Witch of the Waste, who is like in the mode of like Yubaba and Zaniba from uh, Spirited Away, but is depicted in like really more like aggressively problematic ways where she's like, she's like this fancy lady who's actually like horrifying and like fat. And that's like the, the bit is that she's like, she looks like she's elegant, but she's not. She's gross. And then it turns out that grossness is actually mm -hmm. just like a glamour to hide the fact that she's old and her using magic to appear like young and like stately is like an, it's depicted as like an evil thing. Like when they remove that, that she, beco she becomes a person they can be sympathetic towards and not before that. Like there's a whole bit where she's been forced to walk up these stairs mm -hmm. in the castle and she just has to like, you know, haul oh, ass up these, these like 50 stairs and she's like an old lady and is huffing and puffing. And it's, it's like grotesquely animated. And Sophie has to do it too. And it's hard for her because she's carrying this dog and the dog doesn't really bear mention past this, but, um, like Sophie's depicted as like doing it with like, like, you know, the go getting attitude and nobility that someone who's not really old, but is fake old gets while this lady, uh, you know, ha is like falling apart by the time she's up there. And then they remove the magic. Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, she's an old lady. And now she can be like a character we're sympathetic towards. And it plays weird about whether she's senile or she's actually like, just like, you know, keeping to herself about what's going on uh, because both things happen. Like both arguments are well supported in this movie. Uh, but the, right. the moral is that she's a more genuine person when the magic's gone but that's not true of any other character in this movie yeah and they really like the 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 stair sequence is like the moment that i was like i maybe hate this movie because they really belabor like it's a long sequence and it's basically just look at this ugly old woman yeah. like it just belabors this point of she's hideous um, look at her sweat. Look at how, like, she's hideous because she's fat. You know, the everything. It's just gross. And it lasts, like, for fucking ever. Yeah, it's so long. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, uh... To and then they go... Oh, go ahead. At the... As, as part of it, like, they climb the stairs and then go meet... Howell's other mother figure, 
who is only in this movie for like a scene and a half and doesn't seem to have any character to me. And it felt like she should be way more important, but she's just not. And I don't know how she fits into like the arc that Hal or Sophie is having really. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because like they imply that like she was the one who was going to teach Hal how to be a normal person, but he ran away because he was he was too scared. And she lives in a palace, and she's like depicted as like an like the engine of state, right? Like there's a king, but he's just kind of hanging around. She's the one who's directing the war from her wheelchair. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna like the, the movie doesn't bring it up past that, but it's weird that she's like chair bound in the way that no one else is in this movie. Uh, given that this mm-hmm. is a movie about like being old, uh, in a lot of ways, um. But she also just has, like, a little army of, like, ten-year-old howls, and it's not remarked upon at all. Not even once. No one even looks or says anything to them. Which I think, like, could be a theme that is picked up, like, the idea of, like, Howl didn't want to be, like, drafted into being one of the, like, you know, sorcerers of war, and so he ran away. Uh, But it's not about that, other than he says that once and then continues to fight his stupid version of the fight, which we'll get to in a second. Right, and and she's given she's given a couple lines that are like I don't I don't remember what they are, but they like really drive home that the war is kind of like this senseless thing that she's just doing to get at Howl somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the everything about the war in this movie just feels vestigial and incoherent, and I was hoping that maybe her character would elucidate anything that's going on with what Miyazaki's trying to say about war here and and, and she doesn't <laughs> no like the the war is ostensibly because this this prince of the neighboring kingdom went missing and they want to find him and they think this kind of country took him so they're coming to war or whatever um uh, but like that's not really like a do- like explained until like basically the end uh really um and instead this war is just happening no one can t- stop it it's just uh, like constantly about to pop off or popping off depends on where you're at in the countryside and what it is is like full on nausicaa style bombers like wiping these pastoral towns off the face of the earth just like it goes from like flowers and cottages and water wheels to like you know flames and piles of bodies like like suddenly victory Gundam happens to anywhere this thing touches. Um, and Howell's response to that is not to like try to end the war. It's to attack both sides, to try to discourage them from fighting. But all that does is like pitch, like it clearly is explained even in the, in the text of the movie that all that does is like make both sides matter and more willing to like do more because they both think they're being attacked by like the mystical warrior of the other side. Hmm. Uh, and so his, his efforts are like dooming him because every time he almost re- like gets stuck in bird form and he's clearly being injured and it's like hard for him to do, but it's accomplishing nothing. These towns are still getting destroyed and it's just causing the war to continue and like intensify where the whole point was that his, his teacher mom asked him to come and help s- actually stop the war. And he was like, no, I will do it my own way. But his own way is like the lone hero in like the stupidest. So he just Poe Dameron's this shit. <laughs> Um, this is also where it might be worth bringing up, uh, I didn't pick up on this in the movie at all because there's really no reason to, but, uh, according to, um, the Wikipedia page about the movie, uh, Miyazaki has stated, uh, that this is, like, an anti-Iraq war movie. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> I don't I don't if he wanted the movie to be about that, I I don't know where he put that in the movie, yeah. but that's here, I guess. <laughs> yep. You um, could just go watch Revenge of the Sith. It's way better. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit in the Wikipedia that's like, ah, uh, uh, you know, Miyazaki was so mad about the uh, the war after Spirit Away won the Oscar or whatever. He's like, I'm going to make a movie that won't be successful in the United States. This movie's wildly successful. This is like a beloved movie oh in the God. West specifically. And so, uh, whoops, fuck that one up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also, like, the, the whole point is, like, the war is started on, like, flimsy pretense and is, like, a thing that is directed by people who know that that pretense is flimsy. Like, Suleiman, uh, who's, like, the king's sorceress or whatever, like, doesn't... She's, like, a Dick Cheney figure, I guess, but the solution is that Dick Cheney's showing that, like, the WMDs are fake and goes, oh, yeah, I should stop the war. Sorry about that. Uh, that's the conclusion. <laughs> like, it's just the most insipid shit in the world. Yeah, but, like... This, this scarecrow just, as the, as the credits are starting to play, as there is a song singing over these lines, the scarecrow turns into a person and is like, I've received true love's kiss, now I'll end the war. And then the dog shows her, um, that they're, they're having a happy ending on a hill over here. And she's like, oh, Hal's happy, I guess I'll end the war. And then the war's over, and then it's like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> So the thing with the thing with Scarecrow is super weird because it's it's played as a gag, but it's like the actual ending of the movie where like the Scarecrow's been following them around. It's just like a it's like a living Scarecrow. No one really talks about it. Like they're like, oh, you've got a big curse on you. Never find out why or how or who's caused this or anything. Um, but the Scarecrow basically like sacrifices himself to save them right at the end, and then Sophie gives him a kiss like, oh, you you saved the day, Scarecrow, and that turns him into a human, the the prince of the neighboring kingdom, and he's like, ah, oh, yes, I had a I had a curse on me. Only true love's kiss could save me, and everyone looks down to Hal is like, uh, this lady's already got a true love, and he's like, well, I'm gonna go stop the war, and then I'm gonna come back because you never know, maybe she'll change her mind, um, which is like a like a bad joke at the end of this, but also like none of that matters because she then goes off and like is globe trotting with Howl at the end of this movie. That is canonically what happens. It's like it's like if Curtis decided to show back up like five minutes after the end of Porco Rosso <laughs> instead of going off to be like fake Ronald Reagan, right? <laughs> well, and also like um she also bestows true love's kiss on Calcifer and on Howl uh and I think she gives um, uh, uh, Markle a, a kiss on the forehead. Like, the last minute and a half of this movie is just Sophie kissing everybody. Yeah. Uh, because she is just the princess now. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kelsford and Hal are kind of like the same b being, sort of. That never made sense to me, really, except that they, like, are intertwined. Yeah. Um, in some, by magic. Calcifer wow. seemingly fell to earth as a star being and then Hal ate him uh, and then Calcifer mm -hmm. was born like the fire guy and because uh, they exchange hearts or whatever and then Sophie fixes this with her power of love and then he turns back into a star guy and then flies away and everyone's like bye Calcifer you were you were a good friend and then literally three minutes later he's like ah, actually I'm back I, I, I didn't want to be a star person I just want to be the little fire guy everyone loves <laughs> it's kind of it's not quite as bad as Genie showing back up in Aladdin 2 and being like, I just wanted to hang out with y'all again. But it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. He was in enthrall. He was he was literally the engine of that castle for like a decade. And here he is back. He's like, I'll just keep doing that. I don't care. It's better than being al alone, I guess. Yeah. Um. 
but as like sucks. as like the as like the happy ending like that's like the, that this is the stinger at the end of the movie this is like the thing everyone's like feels good about as we go to credits yeah um yeah no i I understand why people like this movie, right? Like, I, I I understand because it's, it's, I won't say it's the prettiest movie we've seen, but it's one of them, you know? I mean, clearly a um, lot of money was spent on, like, really going in for, like, the detailed realism of, like, the buildings and structures and stuff. Like, there's so much loving detail on, like, we're going to make breakfast and we're going to show these, like, really stuffed castle rooms and uh, these quaint villages. Uh, so, I, like, as a visual, like, a thing you put in your eyes, it is good. And, and I think, like, the the pitch of, like, fairy, t- like, literal fairy tale romance with, like, a double Beauty and the Beast situation, um... Uh, contrasted with, like, vague war themes. Like, I understand how this movie becomes beloved, but, like, as I'm watching it, one, I just felt like it was boring, and two, like, none of this coheres, and the stuff that does cohere is gross and bad. Yeah. (laughs) um, I really felt like, like, what is... (laughs) At this point in 2004, like, what does Miyazaki, like, have left in the tank? Um, Like, what is Miyazaki, like... Because he's come out of retirement at least once at this point. Um, Yeah. And I'm I'm really unclear on why. Like, I don't know what he... I really don't know why he was coming back. Because it felt like he wanted to say something with this movie and nothing was said. Yeah. I know. I mean, he's got... Five more that he writes and three more that he directs and we'll cover them when we get there, you know? Um, I mean, some like one of my favorite Ghibli movies is still upcoming, so it's not like he's out of things to say. This just ain't it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just ain't it. And I think it's um, interesting that this is the one that is like the the first movie that is directly about like being old, and it just totally doesn't work at all. Yeah, and I... I'd have to think about it. I feel like Ghibli has done at least one good movie about getting old, either before or after this. I mean, uh, um, I mean, you know, I think Yamada's is pretty good, and that, I mean, that's not about being old, but it does yeah. contain stuff about age and like generations. Um. Uh, I assume The Wind Rises is on some level about this. I haven't seen that one yet, but like, I this is like in my head. This is like growing old is like a recurrent theme uh and this movie bungles it it might just be because miyazaki talks about being old all the time um yeah but uh, also yeah. this movie's just bad, movie's <laughs> bad. i genuinely think this bad. is the worst movie we've seen and it's not even close to me like um i'm gonna read a list of what we've seen real quick um you, you know what like much as I hate Ocean Waves, I really hate Ocean Waves. I think Ocean Waves um, is just fine. I had a good time with it. It's like middle of my list. Ocean Waves being like, I don't like it, but it is really, it's just fine. It's just like kind of boring and okay. Um, Howl's really swinging for the fences and having like a couple things that I do like actually makes it a lot worse because the stuff that I don't like is so much more like apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the closest for me is uh, Mononoke, and that's a, it's a better movie oh, than this. Oh, yeah. I skipped right over Mononoke. Mononoke is also terrible. 
But like, at Sorry. least it's coherent. Like, there's stuff. It's saying something. I think the thing it's saying is stupid, but it like commits. It's thoughtful about like at least advocating for that stance. Uh, I think its characters are more nuanced than this. Uh, you know, there's stuff there. Yeah, uh, Lady of Oshi's interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, do you want to do emails? If you want to send emails, you can do that at podcastabnormalmapping.com. About any of the movies we've covered, we've got uh, four emails here. I'm just going to go down the list and read them. Uh, these were, because of our weird schedule, these were sent weeks and weeks ago. This first one's from a month and a day ago, so I definitely don't remember what it says. But it's from Anthony. <laughs> um, hope I'm not late. You were not too late to send this email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Anthony says, how is my favorite Miyazaki? I'm very sorry for what you've just listened to. Um, something about the world and characters in this one really works for me. Also, I love that dog. The dog is cool. Um, Dog's if you like, if you just like the part where this is like a cool world about like, a, like a bunch of magical rules, I implore you read Witch Hat Atelier. It's a really good manga series. Please. It is about some girls in the school or being taught by this wizard because they can't get into the school and it's good. It's about like very restrictive magical universes and threats, uh, and stuff. And it's great. Um, it's really beautiful. Also, also. much more aware that the twink wizard is evil. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But but also probably a better good guy than like the cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I wonder about the relationship between Sophie and Howell, which I really enjoy. But I also see how it's kind of a tired trope of a lady needing to fix dude's problems. Uh, I feel like it works in spite of that because Hal actively shows his care for Sophie. Uh, how Curse uh, loses power for both as she grows more confident and grows to love Howell. Uh, but also I'm ace and mostly romantic, so I was just trying to like look at it from the outside. Which, you know what, fair enough. I don't know if they presage him, like her being in love with him very much. She just kind of does his dishes, and then one night she's like, I love you, Howell. And he growls at her, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um anthony's question what are uh, any relationships in media that you genuinely enjoy but are complicated maybe not great um what's your problematic well, ship? My, my problematic ship my first thought was whisper of the heart just because i'm ghibli movies which is not it's not problematic at all i just think um that those kids are not gonna you know get married and grow old together um Problematic ship. Um, do you have anything? I'm trying. I have, to I have, an, I have, I have a dead-on answer that is the, the epitome of this, uh, which was I was really invested in Buffy and Spike right up until the end of season six of Buffy. Which, if you've seen Buffy, you know Boo! what the fuck that is. And that was a bad time for me. I stopped watching that show for a year and a half because I just couldn't handle what they had done. I mean, I mean, I. 
at one time was all in on Buffy Angel, which I think is problematic for different reasons, but still very problematic. It is um, problematic for different reasons. Was... It's, they're problematic for way funnier reasons, honestly, than mine, which is like actually just problematic at some point. Yeah, uh, I I spent a long time thinking that like television would never get better than season two of Buffy. Like. <laughs> All right, season three um, of Buffy's right there. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Season three, you know what? If I watched if I watched Buffy now, I would be like, I'm a fucking fool because season three is great. But back then, I was like, no, season two, season two. Um. Uh. Yeah, I think I'm doing the Jackson thing of like I have been asked to name a problematic ship, and I've forgotten every <laughs> ship I've ever had in my life. I want to, I want to point it out for the record, Jackson's not listening to these, because Jackson isn't watching these movies, but I did not name this the Jackson thing. Autumn named this the Jackson <laughs> thing. Nobody put this on me. Um... So yeah, I will I will go with Buffy Angel because it's also bad. <laughs> All right, uh, we have uh, questions from Tron. Uh, what did you think about the soundtrack of this movie? I, I weird like I've been uh, saying this for a while, Saishi but like really she just huh? has like one mode. Really doesn't give this a just shit. sounds this just sounds like Spirited Away to me. <laughs> yeah, there was literally a moment where I was like, "Is that the Spirited Away melody?" <laughs> yeah. Um, who's your favorite character in the movie? Uh. I don't like anyone very much, but Hal is really hot. Uh, I, um, I like Witch of the Waste. I think she's cool. Actually, I might go with Calcifer. Calcifer is very, like, cute and just, like... Calcifer is just very cute. Um, that's it. Okay. Uh, what kind of monster would you date? Oh, I would... Hmm, I do... I think Beast from Beauty and the Beast is really hot. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like he could be more monstrous. I feel uh, yeah. I was uh, gonna say. I think the question is, what wouldn't you date? Yeah, like. And for you, it's a spider. Are, yeah, spider bad. Um, uh, for me, for me, I think I think werewolves. Just because I think werewolves are boring. Vicar Amelia from Bloodborne is like right on the line for me. Where I think Vicar Amelia is very hot, but also, um, I don't know, maybe a bit too monstrous. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Bloodborne is like, there are a lot of Bloodborne characters that like straddle the line for me. Uh, how would you react to instantly being turned to a 90 year old? I just die, I think. I would be, I think I'd be pretty, if I was turned into like a. 60 or 70 year old, I'd be pretty stoked because like I could just be an old person and not really care about things anymore. Well, how old do you think Sophie's uh, turned into? Old. Like given anime and given that she gets around pretty well, uh, I assume she's like 60 maybe, right? Yeah. At first I thought it was 80 because at first she has trouble getting around and then they, they forget about that. And so I think probably 60, yeah. I guess. Yeah. If I was a 60 or 70, I'd probably be pretty stoked. If I was 90, yeah, I'd probably just die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, next questions from Casey. Uh, curious about what you thought about this movie's relationship to gender roles. Do you think it expects people to fall into traditional gender roles and be happy, or does it attempt to subvert them? Do you think Halloween Castle does a better job with gender than other fantasy tales, particularly similar ed stuff like Disney princess movies? I think I think this is very in the mode of Disney princess movies. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I think this is very much, like, the, the exact same gender politics as, like, any Disney princess movie. <laughs> Um, especially like especially like the ones where they're not actually princesses like the bells of and like uh tiana's of the world right yeah yeah for sure for sure um yeah this is actually remarkably similar to tiana's situation now that i think about it um um what else um yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of said this all in like the body of the episode, but like, I just think that like, she's literally like a, a single female business owner and realizes that to be happy, she has to be a wife and a mother. Like that's what the movie is. <laughs> okay. Um, we have one final question from Adam. Uh, this movie was really popular with my friend group in high school. Uh, most of the conversations we had around at the time were shallow stuff about how cool it'd be to go on adventure with your hot wizard boyfriend. Uh, so surprising to me, we're watching it, seeing how much uh, there was about the dehumanization of war. Uh, we were literally the embodiment of wow, cool robot, except it was wow, hot wizard. Uh, I get the sense that how wow, hot wizard is a good general summation of Howl's moving castle discourse from its release to the present. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, question time. Does the turnip head reveal work at all? Credit to the dub for at least trying to set that up earlier in the movie. I didn't know they set that up earlier, which is good good on them, I guess, because it does come out of nowhere. Fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it works. Only in that, like, I think what it wants to be about is, like, interesting, but it, it's literally given, like, 30 seconds, and it doesn't actually matter, aside from the part where it ends the war. Um Yeah. What is your favorite arduous stair climbing series scene in a piece of fiction? Could I bend the rules? What? Can I bend the rules? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Uh, it's fucking Metal Gear Solid Three, obviously. Oh yeah, fair enough. I was gonna say them climbing <laughs> up the big tower in uh in uh, Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um. You know. Um. I think, I think both original Final Fantasy VII and VII Remake do a good job of this. I I would pick original Final Fantasy VII over it because of the experience of playing it and being like, did I fuck something up? Yeah. No, these stairs are really just going. <laughs> they are just doing Ghostbusters, though, as a thing, so it's hard to like. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then the final, most important question: a blonde howl or black-haired howl? Uh, blonde howl, no question, easy. Uh, a a black-haired howl. Red haired Howl is no slouch. Mm, I feel like absolutely not. Sleep on red that is howl. the worst one. Like black haired best, uh, blonde is fine, <laughs> I, I guess. And red haired, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, to be fair, I also think blonde haired Howl gets the best Howl outfit in the movie. Um, so that's that's part of it for me. Okay. Um. um Oh, oh, I, I had one more gender thought. Yeah. Um, which is that, so our, our next movie is Tales from Earthsea. Um, I just finished reading Tahanu, the fourth, fourth Earthsea book. And if you want a fantasy setting that is very similar to this and better about gender, you should read the Earthsea novels. <laughs> um, uh, I think... My my introduction to Le Guin was Left Hand of Darkness, which is a book that is pretty 
yeah yeah i was i was extremely that was sold to me very hard as uh, by a bunch of people who were not non-binary and so i felt that was not a it was fine i didn't hate it but it's a book from a long time ago and it it made a lot of book from a long time ago choices (laughs) yeah and and um like the the two that are mostly about gender i think are tombs of atuan where it's about womanhood and and tahanu where it's 1990 and so like uh, Le Guin has had a lot more time to think about gender and like gender discourse is not, you know, the, where it was in the sixties. <laughs> so, um, th- those books are really good. And if you want a fantasy setting, that's like, it has interesting gender things to say, you should read those novels. Uh, uh, I also watching this movie felt very grateful that, uh, Hayao Miyazaki did not actually direct the Earthsea movie, which like I say, we're covering next time yeah. because uh, I I think he would have bungled that in the same way that he bungled this. Um, so I'm glad that I don't have to deal with Hayao Miyazaki bungling my favorite books instead of just someone whose movies I won't care about as much. Oh, you mean his son? <laughs> his son. Um. Uh, oh, plugs, plugs. Yeah, we should do plugs. Uh, you go. All right. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can find all of my podcasts at abnormalmapping.com. By the time this comes out, we will just be recording our Abnormal Mapping Game Club on Metroid Prime, which I'm looking forward to everyone listening to next week. Uh, It's It's a great time. That game is incredible still. Always. The Citizen Kane of video games. Citizen Kane of video games. Uh, if if you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash normal mapping, we're pl- we're watching Wing still. Uh, it, you know we're coming around towards the the back end of Wing, I guess a little bit, but um, still going, still trucking. Idion's great, better than Wing. Wing's still pretty good. People should listen to my episode of um, Wing because uh, it's great. I did a good job. <laughs> you did do a good job. People should listen to every episode, though. Really. People should listen to every episode, but especially mine, okay. because I'm great. All right. But every episode. <laughs> anyway, people find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, I don't have a good pinned tweet where you can easily find all my stuff, but um, I do export audio, a podcast with my uh, wife, um, which has been on a accidental month-long hiatus, much like, much like this podcast. Um, because work is busy and, and funerals are difficult. Um, we do hot singles. I, I also do hot singles, which is a new ish podcast where my friend, uh, regression and I, both of us pick one album and we talk about, uh, those albums. Um, and it's like, it's just a really good podcast. It's just very good. (laughs) Um, I, I think that's all the podcasts I do. Oh, I have a brand new podcast that's going to start next week. It was supposed to start this week, but work was difficult. Uh, called Ars Arcanum, where we're kind of doing Great Gundam Project, but for Brandon Sanderson novels, which is a mistake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love Brandon Sanderson novels. Uh, we are in over our heads. We're starting with Elantris, so you should read the first three chapters of Elantris before that episode goes up on Tuesday. I will not do that, but I will listen to the first episode. Yeah. Um, but everyone else has to, has to, you have to read the book and then listen to the episode. Yeah, everybody else has to. Um, but don't buy it because Brandon Sanderson's like a millionaire. So just like steal it. Or okay. go to the library. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe don't go to the library. There's a, there's a whole thing on, but you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a thing on, but you know. A lot of libraries doing curbside. Yeah, if you do go to the library, have, uh, wear a mask or get it curbside, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, do we have a sign-off? No, we never figured it out. Come back in three weeks and we'll be talking about another one of these. It's going to be a good time. Thank you, everyone, for listening.
Thank you.